0: Ow, ow, ow. Ow. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC 295. This episode of the Dogger pa- Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by PrizePicks. Use promo code DOP when we'll making a new account to get a match up to one hundred dollars on your first deposit. Producer Megan on the six, Cody Saffick on the line. Thirteen fights on the docket. Let's get right into the action, Cody. No time to spare. We got Alex Pereira taking on Yuri Prohashka for the interim belt um, at one hundred and or sorry, two hundred and five pounds. Pereira minus two hundred or minus one twenty favorite, whereas Prohashka can be had for plus one hundred. Who you got, homie?
1: Yeah, so this one, again, this is a tough card, 13 fights, but you can make a strong argument for everybody. There's going to be a ton of dogs coming through, and you get a main event that's basically even money. The thing with Yuri Petroska is that he's coming off this layoff because of the torn shoulder. To me, that does mean a lot. You got a back injury, you got a neck injury, or you got a shoulder injury. It kind, of, it kind of means a lot more because you're not going to be able to sleep all that well. I know that sounds stupid to a lot of people, but you, you you don't get a good night's sleep. There's really no comfortable position, and you're constantly in this ache. And if you're not sleeping well, you're not recovering well. If you're not recovering well, you're not training at an optimal level. And to think that he's going to take a year and a half off after a major shoulder surgery where Dana White said guy could possibly retire, jumping back into a championship-level camp to jump back into a UFC main event that's tough, man. So if so, we can assume that he's not going to be the very best version of himself. He's going to come out like a man on fire. He always does. He's going to be crazy. He's going to be throwing strikes. He's going to be very high volume. And at any point, because he's a dangerous striker who throws a ton of just dangerous stuff. He'll throw knees. He'll throw elbows. Throw long combinations. He's dangerous basically everywhere. He can still win the fight. I'm just assuming he's not going to be the best version of himself coming forward. Fair enough. So he's jumping back in here, still young enough, okay, he's recovered from the injury, he's got a tough task ahead of him. All of that being said, he's a defensive liability man. He's got tons of firepower, tons of offensive capabilities, but he runs into, constantly runs into shots, constantly gets himself hurt. You look at his career before coming to the UFC, it's mostly UFC washouts, Bellator washouts, and PFL washouts, and he puts a beating on them in these one 10-minute rounds and generally finishes them at some point within that 10 minutes. He's an offensive dynamo. We know that. But you see him get hit a lot. You see his loss to King Mo. Big overhand right. Rocks him. Not saying suspect chin. It's that the way he fights, he's leaving himself vulnerable. Guys like Wonderboy Thompson fight hands low. But he's sound. He's moving his feet. He's dodging in and out. Yuri's just putting constant pressure on guys. So fast forward to his run in the UFC. Feels like he's been in the UFC for a long time now. But he hasn't. Coming off that year-long layoff, he's got three fights in the UFC. Those guys... I wouldn't say the highest level of competition, but not the worst level of competition. Volkan Uzmir, former title challenger, good gatekeeper to the top 10, I suppose. And uh, he gets rocked a few times in the Volkan fight, but he perseveres, he takes him out. You go to the Dominic Reyes fight. Dominic Reyes is on a four-fight losing streak, considered most by most to be done. Ian Reyes had some moments, man. He rocked him a few times because he leaves himself so open. And then in his last fight with Glover Texera, Glover's the old man, the old dog, the old war horse. What has he got left in him, but... Yuri fights one. that's one of the craziest fights I've ever seen in my life and he hits a buzzer beater choke out on the old man to seal the deal craziness craziness this is going to be a wild fight but I got a guy that I now still think is a defensive liability that probably hasn't shorted up don't think he's really upgraded most of his skills in the gym because he's mostly been dealing with a bad shoulder. Coming off a year-long layoff, there's going to be some ring rust, right into a UFC main event. Like, everything's working against him. He can make it work for himself, sure. He could land the KO blow. It's MMA. We know that. We're fight fans. We love fighting. Could happen. But, like, the odds are kind of stacked against him here. And the money line's not stacked against him, but the odds are stacked against him. Pereira, meanwhile, I have this problem every week where it's like, I'm always like, ah, 36, 37, 38... What were the two fights I got wrong last week? Was going against the old dog, right? Angela Hill still had one left in her. It's like, and Nicholas Dalby. (laughs) Nicholas Dalby, son of a bitch. Um, We talked about it on the show, but whatever. Uh, Dalby still had one left in him. Pereira at 36, what we forget is that he's long in the tooth maybe in kickboxing. He's had 50 fights in kickboxing. He's been around the block a few times. But in MMA, geez, man, he's still pretty young. He's got twice the amount of UFC experience. As Yuri Petroska, he's been continuously getting better. He's been continuously making improvements. He's trained under Glover Texera, who would, I think would have a ton of knowledge on how to fight Yuri and how to approach this. And, yeah, just more polished, more refined kickboxer. He doesn't have the volume. okay? He's a little bit lower on volume. His best numbers is 90, landed in Adesanya in the, mm-hmm. well, I guess two fights ago, uh, not the one he got knocked out, the last one, but the, the rematch, I suppose. Uh, 90 in that one and it was a fifth round stoppage so maybe he would have got 100 in that but for the most part he's a lot more selective now there's a chance that yuri comes in here and overwhelms him but it could be one of those situations where yuri overwhelms him he's landing twos he's landing threes he's landing combinations and he's gonna get hit and when he gets hit it's gonna be an absolute problem so Pereira didn't look great his last time out, let's be honest. He didn't look great against Jan Bukovic. But but that being said, first time up at 2.05, I think his body needs to adjust. His frame needs to adjust. And now second time out, sophomore outing, I think this guy's going to be a beast. He's going to be a problem. So stuff the takedowns. That should be a lot easier than it's normally been for him in the past because he doesn't figure to be a huge takedown threat, although he has a grappling advantage, doesn't have that wrestling to necessarily take Pereira down. So if we got a kickboxing match, I've got... A guy that's gonna be throwing crazy techniques, he you know, he's gonna be coming forward, he's gonna be aggressive, he's got the volume, versus that more refined world champion, glory level, two division champ, UFC going f- to try to become a two division champ. For, for for like even money, if you're gonna tell me even money, like I feel like Pereira's just got a lot more going for him currently, right now, right? Here he comes out there and proves the world wrong and shows that he's back on track, great, but he's gotta prove that first. So that being said, I gotta go with Alex Pereira.
0: Yeah, Yuri's got that dog in him. But, like, I mean, it's kind of sloppy. It's kind of crazy. Obviously, we're playing punchy-kicky. He could go out there. He can land an absolute bomb and knock out Pereira at any time. It's obviously on the table. Like, you know, if Pereira was a, a stone-cold lock, he wouldn't be minus 120. Like, it's in, it's in the range of outcomes. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, if it turns into a kickboxing match, sure, Yuri is going to be winning on volume, I, I would imagine, but... You know, some of his crazy techniques, some of his crazy entries and stuff, I feel I'm, I'm on board with you. I feel like eventually he's going to get clipped from a much more precise type of strike. So uh, it's Pereira for me as well. And minus 120 seems incredibly playable. Uh, I'm not too worried about the grappling side of things like... He has an edge, but it's like, I feel like Pereira's grappling under the tutelage of Glover Teixeira is kind of getting better every single fight. On top of that, the last time out against Yan, he did get boxed up a little bit, but the threat of the takedown was really there throughout that entire fight, right? Um, and it
1: tired him out from having to grapple, ex- right?
0: Exactly. Um, and he keeps your hands low. So, you know, Yan was able to land... Some more strikes. Um, I mean, I thought Jan actually won that fight, but it's a totally different matchup all the way around um, here. I'm with you. And on top of that, that's what I was going to say is that, you know me, I've I've been preaching this for so many years. That first move up from 185 to 205 is like the biggest problem, right? Because you've been keeping yourself supernaturally light for all of this time, particularly him because he was enormous at 185. Now he's had an extra fight camp, an extra, you know, three or four months to fill out that frame even more. Um, he, He should have even more muscle on his frame this time around. He should be much better at 205 than he was in the on fight. So... Yeah, prayer for me as well. Moving on down, we've got the heavyweight title of the world on the line. Tom Aspinall taking on Sergei Pavlovich. Aspinall, a minus 120 favorite. Sergei can be had for plus 100. I know who I got. Who do you?
1: Yeah, so another very close fight. You can see both guys winning. This one, the one that's tough about this one, is that we have to make assumptions on who's better after round one. Both guys look extremely talented. In round one, we got Tom Aspinall definitely seems to have the speed advantage. He's got excellent footwork. I would say the clean boxing technique is going towards Tom Aspinall. If this was a boxing match, Tom Aspinall probably wins. If this was a kickboxing match, his opponent doesn't throw any kicks whatsoever. So again, Tom Aspinall probably wins. But that's all just like boxing, kickboxing. Can he carry that over? Can he fight into that second round? Can he fight into that third round? So far in the UFC, you've got nice wins, right? But also smashes Jake Collar in 45 seconds. Smashes Alan Bodo in 135. Those are the bad ones. Beats Andrei Orlovsky. That's the fight that goes to the second round. And that one still to this day is key to me. Because it's the only time you can see him in that second round. And he's tired. He's tired at the end of the first round. into the second round, it's like, oh shit, I'm about to lose money here on Tom Aspinall. And he happens to hit Andrei Orlovsky, grab the rear naked choke, boom, put him out of there. But it was a little bit worrisome, Paul. And then he smashes Sergey uh, Sergey Spivak in one. Beats... Uh, volkov in one loses to curtis blades by that knee injury in 15 seconds and beats marcin tybor in a minute 13 the, the longest you've seen him in there was the volkov fight 345 where volkov really can't grapple so he's able to exploit that on him the guy's supremely talented no doubt about that but we need to assume or we need to at least try to gauge can he keep that up and that one time that we saw him try I think not go in his favor now you go back to fights, right? I don't like betting on a guy who blows his knee out in 15 seconds into a fight, then has to take a ton of time off, goes out and publicly says, I contemplate retirement because my knee's in bad shape, comes back from it, and then beats Marcin Tybura with a first-round knockout, and baby, he's back? Baby, he's UFC champion? This is the best guy we have out there? Maybe he's just in another case with the year where he still needs to prove it i need to see him in a second round i need to see him in the third round It'd be nice to see this guy fighting a five rounder before you said you know let's throw him in a ufc title fight uh there's just again you got to make a lot of assumptions P- Pavlovich is the exact same this guy lost to alistair over in pretty quick and then all of his wins have been very quick six of them all in the first round so how do you approach him i really thought let's see if this guy can wrestle because if he can't wrestle i think it, like listen not only does, does Aspinall have that boxing and kickboxing advantage, he's a better grappler as well. It's the in between. Is, is his wrestling good enough that he's going to be able to go out there and take down Pavlovich? Is he going to be able to lean on his grappling and go a second or third round if need be? That's what we don't know. But in Pavlovich's case, the one guy that maybe could have tried to exploit that wrestling, Curtis Blades, shot one takedown. Man, he looked like a deer in headlights. Now, I don't care. I had Pavlovich, but we still don't know. Like, fighting is all about trying to learn more about these guys, and that's why it's tough making LFA picks or contender series picks because, for the most part, there's so many areas that they haven't been to yet. This is a world-caliber fight with there's question marks because you haven't seen them in those spots. So you can only base on what you have, and, and you just have to take a shot in the dark. Now, the bookies got it right. It's 50-50 because they don't know. And the betting public, they're 50-50 on this fight because they don't know. And both guys got a ton of great characteristics. It's just who you think is going to show up and get the goddamn thing done. And for my money's worth, I got to go with the Russian Sergey Pavlovich. I'm saying that because, one, he didn't lose two fights ago blowing out his knee. But uh, I just think he's such a big, heavy power puncher that he causes guys to get gun-shy. And Aspinall doesn't want to get hit by this guy, so he's going to use his jab, he's going to use his finesse, but he's going to be getting bombs thrown against him. If it goes to his second or third round, Aspinall, I've seen that one time, look tired. Since then, he had the knee injury, he's come back, he's had that one quick win. I don't know yet. That he's improved it. So I'm leaning towards he hasn't. Pavlovich, meanwhile, you've never seen this guy gas. You've never seen this guy get tired. You're assuming maybe because he's so physically built he can't go to a second or third round. But anybody that's trained with this guy, they'll tell you that his cardio is off the charts. Apparently, he just keeps going. He hasn't had to go a second or third round because nobody stood up to him yet. But he could if he had to. And it's like, am I buying into their hype? Yeah, probably a little bit. But I think if things get dirty, I'm going to favor Pavlovich a little bit. I think he's got the power. I think he just hits Aspen almost something at some point, hurts him. If it gets to a second and Tom tires, Sergei takes over. Good fight. Really good fight. Very looking forward to it. Tough to make money on it because it's very much 50-50. But I'm leaning towards that 50 being Pavlovich.
0: Yeah, I took, I took Pavlovich plus 135 when it opened. The mar- markets obviously moved closer to a pick 'em. I don't know. I'm just a believer in this guy. I the, the Obviously, the, the Overeem fight was super, super ugly. That was... F- tough fi- debut,
1: dude. It was five years ago. <laughs> tough
0: debut against somebody yeah. with that amount of experience. I mean, if they ran it back, let's be honest, Pav is absolutely knocking him out at this point. I think he's put in the time at Eagles MMA working on that takedown defense. And on the feet, guy is a problem. Like, if you're hanging out at range with him, it's just like... He's more power... Like, he, the bombs he's throwing are, are yeah, are just devastating. And and on top of that, he's 31 right now, so that's five years ago. Twenty, He was a 26-year-old heavyweight taking on Alistair Overeem. And, like, let's face it, mostly this, you know, Pavlovich is a striker. Taking on, like, a K-1 kickboxing champion. It was a super, super tough spot. 26 for heavyweight is an absolute baby. I think this guy... The only thing working against him is, yeah, we don't know what, ha- like, maybe he gasses, but it's like, even the fights that have been extended to, like, four minutes, it's like, he's still trucking, so I don't know. I think he's a big problem. I don't think Jones or or Stepe want anything to do with Sergey Pavlovich if he gets this belt. Like, they are, they're going to have <laughs> their little fight, I guess, and then Pavlovich will just... End up holding on to the title, like that's kind of how I see this shaking out. I'm a big believer, in maybe all of that got my face. They're both very, very tremendous prospects in this division. Um, the future of heavyweight is here, and it's a super, super fun fight. Um, I'm happy that it's happening for high stakes. Uh, but yeah, Pav is the pick for me as well. Moving on down, we got Mackenzie Dern taking on Jessica Andrade minus 190 for Mac Dern, plus 165 for Andrade. I mean, it's not rocket science. This is kind of like, you know, striker versus grappler match, a fight where if Mackenzie Dern's able to get this fight to the ground, she's always struggled with her wrestling. The wrestling, t- the, 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 the takedown offense is a definite work in progress, but when she grabs a hold of you, the jiu-jitsu is super good. We saw Jessica Andrade um, against Blanchfield, it's like the moment she went to the ground was basically just getting washed up. But minus 190, it's like you're asking a lot from Dern. I think Dern has made a lot of improvements. I think I made a joke about it like two weeks ago uh, on the show when, uh, when I said like post-divorce Dern may be a problem because the cardio seems to be checked out um, or really seems to be checking out these days. Her weight cut seems to be in order. She seems a lot more focused than uh, earlier on in her career. The 190 is a little bit scary here, but I feel like you have one fighter on the on the on the way up, and you have Jessica Andrade, who, let's face it, hasn't been the same. Like the last really good performance, I suppose, from her that I can really recall is like Lauren Murphy. Because Lauren Murphy was just a sitting duck and just ate an insane number of shots. Dern, on top of that, has been incredibly durable. She's taking shots to the dome and uh is able to take that punishment. So it could look really, really ugly. Jess Con could absolutely box her up, make it really, you know, like it would be like, oh, my God, I can't believe she was a dog. It was really one-sided. It's just like, but if Dern gets this fight to the mat or even spider monkeys onto her back or something, she's going to have a ton of success. Uh, working with Henry Cejudo, a whole bunch, I feel like, she'll have a good game plan coming in here. She's not going to just hang out at range with Jessica Andrade. That's how she loses this fight. So I think Dern is the rightful fave. Minus 190, don't love it. But um, but yeah, that's my pick. What about you?
1: Yeah, man, I, I actually agree. And you know, what the crazy thing about Jessica Andrade is it's like, man, when was the last time she had a good performance? Like All the way back to the Lauren Murphy fight, just like you said, right? The fight was this year, man. It was 2023. Like she's had five. This is Well, this will be her fifth fight this year. And she wins the first one against Lauren Murphy. She lands 231 significant strikes against Lauren Murphy. That capped off a three-fight winning streak for her. Wins over Manda Lemos. Wins over Cynthia Calvillo. Finishes. Three-fight winning streak. Tons of momentum. January. Wins. And literally, it's just been an absolute train wreck. Now, you can make an excuse for her and be like, look at the level of competition she's fighting. Tatiana Suarez. Aaron Blanchfield. Yang Janan. Man. Tough. Let's give her a pass. It's the disinterest that you've seen in those fights. It's the regression that you've seen in those fights. She's not even all that old, but she's like the longest tenured fighter, uh, women's fighter on the roster, I believe. She's got the most fights for the organization of all time, I think, at Women's MMA. She's been around. And at some point, despite the three fight winning streak, despite all that momentum, huge win over Lauren Murphy, at some point, she just like checked out. And so it starts with the first one, the Aaron Blanchfield loss. Blanchfield's very much a grappler, super young, green in her ways. Just got boxed up by J.J. Aldrich one fight before, right? In, in what world is she going to be Jessica Androj, female John Lineker, the legendary girl who's just beaten household names, who's hung household names, former world title, uh, uh, a champion. She won a world title. Blanchfield boxes her up and then takes her down and chokes her out just for good measure. But it, her striking just looks so off. Her timing just looks so off that she fights Yao Jinan one fight later. Well, Yao Jinan can crack. And does it knocks out Andras two and a half minutes into the first round? Like nothing. That's not something you typically see from Andrash. Where's that durability? Where's that toughness, that grit, that ability to sustain the things that the characteristics that got her to where she was? Gone. And then the last fight with Tatiana Suarez, another case of Suarez had taken three years off with the knee injury, came back, beat Montana Delarosa up a weight class, dropping back down is 100% going to out-wrestle Jessica Andrade in every case scenario. But Tatiana Suarez would look largely out of place in a striking match with Jessica Andrade. And she didn't, Paul. She didn't. She actually didn't look too bad striking with Jessica Andrade, who just seems so flat. Like, maybe she's so worried about the takedown threat. Maybe you could call it anything. But, like, the fade train is building momentum, and it's full steam ahead. And because she's a former world title a challenger and champion and Top girl of the division and long tenure. She makes the money. So they're not going to give her an easy fight. And this is not an easy fight. Mackenzie Dern, 30 years old, very much coming into her own. She's just coming into the prime of her career athletically. But keep in mind that this is a world champion jiu-jitsu fighter. This is somebody, I mean, jiu-jitsu fighter. It's so oxymoronic. Anyways. Uh, she was a high-level jiu-jitsu player, right? She's got a lot of competition experience. But does she have those MMA skills? No, not necessarily. You see her transition over to MMA, and there's a lot of struggles early. But she learns a little bit in all these fights. The Amanda Cooper fight, she looks awful, and then all of a sudden, boom, cold cocks her, takes the back, chokes her out. But she's actually got some legitimate power. Fast forward, you know, wins over Verna Jandaroba, Nina Nunes, Tisha Torres, consistently getting better. And then that last fight with Angela Hill, she outstruck Angela Hill in spots. Her cardio checked out over the course of five rounds. She looked dead dog determined. Her grappling, of course, is top notch. She can get the position. She wants. the Tisha Torres fight. She pulled guard and it didn't even matter because it's like she's immediately tacking your arm in a Kamura. looks good to the judges. Again, this is someone that's building on that Jiu Jitsu base and has added the striking. The boxing's gotten better. She's putting times. <clears throat> Sorry. She's putting excellent work in with guys like Henry Cejudo. The wrestling's starting to improve a lot. I do feel like Dern is coming into her own and becoming a legitimate contender. And what she's doing here is getting a win over a former world title or a world champion, get, elevating her status, getting that recognition, allowing the casual fans to start to take notice, and then they'll build her into some even bigger fights. But this is very much a case of one fighter on the up and up. And Draj, and crazy to think that she's washed, considering she smokes Murphy less than 12 months ago. But there's a serious impression here that she's washed. So if this fight stays standing, right, it should be Draj all day, but it's not, right? She's getting outstruck by lesser strikers than Dern now. And you just saw from the Dern fight with Angela Hill, she's adequate on the feet at this point. So if this thing wants to stay a standing match, I think Dern wins it. If this thing hits the ground, there's no debate that Dern wins it. And Drash has that one ability of maybe she's a stronger f- fighter, especially in the clinch. Maybe she can get some takedowns. And if she can get some takedowns, she's a BJJ black belt. If she can just stay strong on top and just grind out two of three very bad rounds, then maybe she could win a scorecard performance. But that's not in Drash. That's not who she is at her core. And she's not going to suddenly just do that. And as when I say she's also a BJJ black belt, not to the same effect of Mackenzie Dern. Lane Prey, Mackenzie Dern, still not a viable game plan. So if that was her best chance of victory, even it's so no. So why not Dern top ticket this week? Because it's women's MMA. So Dern will be high up there. Just I can't put her all the way at the top.
0: All right. We got Benoit Saint-Denis taking on Matt, the steamroller for Frivola. Minus 220 for BSD and plus 190 for Frivola. Who you got here, buddy?
1: Yeah, so Frivolà loves to shit in apple pies. Not you bet him shit in apple pies, but if you underestimate him, he's gonna come through. This is a guy that's obviously very talented. He shares a room with Aljamain Sterling, Maral Davajfieli. He's in an excellent room uh, with uh, just the whole crew of Ray Longo and, and Matt Sarah over in New York. Right, the guy's got the skills. He's got legitimate wrestling. He's got excellent grappling, solid jiu-jitsu, uh, submissions is pretty much on point. And, He's got solid cardio, but can he take a punch? And that's kind of always been the problem. Uh, people will remember the Polo Reyes fight, where Polo Reyes never had any success in the UFC, but a very one-dimensional brawler that's willing to sling on you he can knock out Matt frivola if he lands on him cleanly. He knocks him out one minute flat. If you go back to frivola's regional show career, there's a lot of fights that he won, but still got rocked. A little bit troublesome. Lando Venata dropped him twice. That fight ends up being a draw because of the 10-8, but... Ends up dropping him twice, not knocking him out. But it's a subsequent fight to the Polo Reyes fight. Chin looks gone. His fight with Terrence McKinney, McKinney knocks him out in seven seconds. Stiff. Not a bad stoppage. Stiff. Seven seconds. Now, again, these guys are good, right? You can't take anything away from them. Dude went the distance with Armin Sarukian. So he's not like he's the chiniest guy out there. But it is a little bit problematic because I think he can win this fight. But I'm so nervous that he's just going to get chin checked at some point And he's going to fold over. Benoit Saint-Denis is rugged, and if both of these guys are getting by on the fact that they're both rugged, good wrestling, good cardio, solid grappling, push a hell of a pace, Benoit Saint-Denis can take one hell of a shot. Favola, not necessarily. I think Maddie might be a little bigger once you see them at weigh I think you know he, he might be able to out-grapple Saint-Denis. He might have that cleaner technique, but if this is going to be an all-out 15-minute brawl, he's going to get hit, and I, I just don't know that he stands up to Benoit Saint-Denis' power, so this is one I'm kind of in my head I'm talking myself back and forth on because on one hand you got Matt Favola at uh, plus 185 like that that could be my first dog shot I think he, this is a winnable fight for him the other hand is like Polo Reyes knocks him out a minute Terrence McKinney knocks him out in in 7 seconds uh, Venada drops him twice is there not a good chance that Benoit Saint-Denis hits him? yeah, yeah there is and if he does hit him is there not a good chance that he's going to rock him? yeah, yeah, no there is and so I think I'm going to go with Benoit St. Denis, but I feel like a bitch. I feel like a coward a little bit. I feel like I'm just kind of rolling it back and, and I, should, I should just take that dog play. But I think that this is going to be a brawl and the guy with the better durability is going to come out on the winning end of that brawl. So got to go with St. Denis.
0: Yeah, I'm with you, actually. Uh, the, 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 uh, the Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos fight, it's like the amount, it was, that was short notice for Benoit St. Denis as well. The amount of damage that guy took. I mean, he was like a French Marine or something like that. It's like this guy's kinda built different. And Frivola has been doing a crazy, crazy career resurgence. Very, very happy for him. Um, it's it's been tremendous, but I don't know if I don't know if Benoit Saint Denis getting knocked out by anybody outside of the top five, to be perfectly honest. Um, his chin just seems to be so much on point that I think he can take the damage, make this grimy, make this ugly. I don't know if and yeah, I guess Frivola has had you know, obviously, Terrence McKinney fight comes to mind. Um, some questionable moments in his career with his own durability. But I think Ben St. he just kind of, like, pushes us up the cage. And he's so strong for 155 pounds. Make this make this ugly. And if he gets it to the ground, he can find a submission as well. Like, his grappling is just so on point. So, I think he's the rightful favorite. I don't know if I'm going to get to it from a betting perspective, a minus 220, but... Benoit Saint-Denis is the pick for me as well. All right, moving on down, we got Pat Sabatini taking on Diego Lopez. Minus 120 for Sabatini, plus 100 for Diego Lopez. I think this is kind of a fight where Sabatini seems very, very, like, one-dimensional. I don't don't really rate his striking uh, much at all. But what he is good at is getting takedowns, making fights ugly, and securing top position. Diego Lopez, on the other hand, has a nice little tricky guard. But he's kind of a little bit too happy to hang out down there. Um, I think kind of how this fight plays out is that Pat Sabatini gets those takedowns. He hangs out in top position. Lopez has a few, you know... Submission attempts, maybe even gets like relatively close in some of them, but Sabatini's able to get out of it because his grappling's able or is good enough, and we kind of see that rinse and repeat uh, Sabatini has a ton of top control top uh, and, and time on top he doesn 't land too much significant strikes whatsoever. I mean this fight's somewhat likely to go the distance and like sabatini 's significant strike total is only uh twenty five point five it 's like he gets top control. And he tries to control you. Like, he's not really throwing too many bombs. He just stays busy enough to maintain his position. Um, I think he kind of does that for at least two out of three rounds, gets a pretty boring decision win. Pat Sabatini, for me, what about you?
1: Yeah, well, he's going to have to hope that the New York judges get it right, because, yeah, you got one guy that's just throwing up crazy stuff at all points, so Pat Sabatini will have the top control, but he's going to have to land some ground and pound, or at least try to improve position and go for his own submission attempts, because I think with Diego Lopez, it's like a very fan-friendly style, but I think it looks good to the judges. When he's standing, he's throwing heat, he's got some decent power, he rocked Mavzar of a couple times standing, causing Evlov to just take him down. And then once he is on the ground, he's throwing up submission attempts. He made that fight way closer than it needed to be, and he was like a 5-1 to underdog. So Lopez can definitely crack. That being said, does he have enough power to put down Sabatini? I think he has enough power. I just don't know that the striking is going to materialize for him. Sabatini has an excellent ability of just... Not having to strike if he doesn't need to. Got knocked out by Damon Jackson, sure, but the vast majority of his fights don't spend a whole lot of time standing. He forces his way into the clinch. He's got excellent trip takedowns. He's got legitimate top control. This guy's, when he gets his the position he wants, he's just been very, very suffocating and very, very dominant. Now, here's the thing with Diego Lopez. He cracks enough. I'm not going to say he's a good striker, but he's a decent striker. He cracks enough that opponents don't necessarily want to stand with him. So they're going to want to take him down. And his guard. Is so high level. It's so advanced. He's a legitimate BJJ black belt. He competed at the Eddie Bravo invitational. He's shown in the UFC, especially in the evil Love fight. He can catch or almost catch just about anybody. He's super high level. So, so it causes these guys to not work on the wrestling, right? Because they're okay standing and they know these guys don't want to shoot their way into the garden and, and they're comfortable. Hey, take me down. And that's his issue. He gives up three takedowns against Joe Anderson Brito in the contender series, a fight that he lost. His fight with Mavzar Ivlov, he gave up the four takedowns. And his fight with Gavin Tucker, neither guy landed a significant strike. It's one of the very rare, very, very rare fights in UFC history. Neither guy landed a significant strike. It's just a, he gets taken down like nothing and he catches Gavin Tucker in an armbar. Now it's a dope little win because Gavin Tucker's not a bum. He's a BJJ black belt. He's got solid grappling. He catches him in an armbar. He's got that ability. He almost caught Ivlov. An undefeated, top-of-the-food-chain prospect. The guy's legit. But Sabatini's just way too suffocating, man. So I think if you believe, oh, wow. Who's going to get the takedown? 100% Sabatini. This thing's in his wheelhouse. You've got one guy in Lopez that stands 5'11 for the division. He's very tall. That center of gravity is very high. He's getting taken down. It's whether you believe his jiu-jitsu is so advanced, it's so high level, that he's going to catch a legitimate black belt like Pat Sabatini. I don't see that happening. If there's prolonged striking exchanges, they're going to favor Lopez. Uh-huh. If Lopez is able to rock him and capitalize on a quick submission, possible, possible. Again, this is the fight game. But Sabatini's going to get the takedowns rather quickly, and when he does, there's just... I wouldn't say no one like him, but at this level, he has been massively suffocating. You can look at his fight with... By the way, Jamal Emers did rock him as well. Uh, Another fight where his chin doesn't look great. But the second it hits the ground, they play footsies. He takes out Emers, who we'll talk about later. Looks like a good pick this week. His fight with Tucker Lutz, five takedowns. Easily just suffocates him. TJ Laramie basically got TJ Laramie cut because of how absolutely abysmal he made him look, right? Six takedowns, easy money. The fight with Lucas Almeida his last time out. This guy lands two significant strikes, two and a half minutes in the fight. He just rode him like a miniature-sized pony. It was legit. I like Pat Sabatini. I think he gets the takedowns. I think he establishes the top control. He avoids those tricky submission attempts. He avoids harm's way, and he gets the job done. Even money, not bad. I like it. So uh, I'll go with Pat Sabatini.
0: All right, we got Steve Urseg taking on Alessandro Costa. Minus 200 for Ursaig, plus 170 for Costa. Two guys who are obviously fresh in this division. Both coming off of very good performances, um, you know, they're maybe maybe two of the rising stars at 125 pounds. I was impressed by Urseg in his debut against Dvorak I think um, he showed that he's got a very very well uh, well rounded skill set. Costa has just leg kicks for days. This is a very very tr- intriguing fight. I'm. Tempted to take a dog shot here if this fight or if this line continues to grow Cody because it was like minus 170 yesterday for Erseg, and it just keeps growing on the Costa side. And I respect Erseg; I think he's got a lot of potential moving forward. But like Costa, the guy kicks like a mule and I feel like, you know, Erseg's kind of tall chicken legs. Uh, Costa could cause him some problems at plus 170. He'll be he'll be my official pick. I may bet him. We'll see where the, the line goes over the rest of the week, though.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping it gets closer to even because in my mind, it's closer to even. It's not going to get closer to even. I just mean, no. I just I hope I can get a better price tag on Craig Erceg than what they're currently putting, or sorry, Steve Erceg, than what they're per- currently putting out on the market. This is a flyweight fight. Flyweight fights have tons of vol- um, uh, volatility just because both guys can go they can scrap it's they're usually very exciting 15 minute hard fights that come down to attrition both guys are going to be throwing combinations both guys can can sweep and get back up and shoot takedowns it's not a lumbering middleweight fight or a lumbering light heavyweight fight where it's smaller a pint size one guy's clearly winning the fight, it's flyweight where there's tons of action going on. So, when I see minus 185 and Urseg in a fight that I know it's going to be close and competitive, I don't necessarily love it. Value boy side, all day it's on Costa. You're t- looking for some underdogs at this price tag, Costa is a decent shot, but I think I like a little bit more from what I see from Urseg. You mentioned that he's got these little chicken legs and he's you know open to the leg kick, you're not wrong, but. Dvorak mauled his legs. And I mean ma- 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 mauled. Calf kicks for days. Neutralizes him. And yet, Ursaig doesn't ever take a step backwards, man. This guy is scrappy. Mm-hmm. He took that fight on ultra short notice against Dvorak. Jumps in here, making his UFC debut against a ranked contender. Was number 15, I think, in the division. But all the same. Top 15 contender on a couple weeks' notice. And he's like biggest underdog on the card. I think it was a plus 345... This thing's 1-1. One, one. I had a 1-1 one, one going into the third. It's a dogfight. Like, he's coming forward. He's got a beautiful check left hook. He was getting outworked in certain spots. Uh, he was definitely getting his leg kicked off, but he was landing the bigger shots. He rocked Dvorak in the first. He rocked Dvorak in the second. He landed three takedowns. And in that third round, again, 1-1, one, one, who wants it more? Kid's 28 years old, UFC debut, biggest underdog on the card. He wanted it more. He scrambles. He takes top control. He takes the back. He rides it out. 229-27s and a 30-27. Somebody had him. Sorry, 229-28s. In a thirty twenty seven, somebody one of the judges had him win in all three. That's what he can do on short notice against a ranked contender. Me like he, right? Costa, meanwhile, on the contender series, he gets that uh, split. It's a split decision over juan luna i think but it's low volume he does land a knockdown but it's not like it's a big offensive performance the fight with amir albazi he lands 17 significant strikes it's super low output the one takeaway from that fight is his takedown defense looked pretty solid uh, albazi's got excellent wrestling excellent takedowns and he only got one over costa so costa again he didn't land anything and he definitely lost the fight he ends up getting knocked out in the third round but You know, solid takedown defense, low output. What can you do with that? A fight with Jimmy Flick is perfect because Jimmy Flick has no striking and no durability. You look at every single one of Jimmy Flick's losses, he is getting smoked usually in the second round, within the first 30 seconds of the second round. He doesn't have a great chin. So this is a prime uh, fight for him because he doesn't have to throw a ton of strikes, although he did, and, and he did knock out Jimmy Flick, is that Flick's liver died by these flying triangles, this optimistic jujitsu? this I might be able to catch the guy in something. So when he shot takedowns, he was able to use his rock-solid takedown defense and keep the fight standing. And Now Flick can't stand with you because he can't take a punch. So that that's going to make Constance look good, and he does look good. Now he's taking on someone in, in Eckerd who I just think, I think he's got way more durability. I think he's going to be able to press forward. He's going to be, be able to fight a hard 15, take you into deep waters, need be. He can sprinkle in the wrestling if need be throw some takedowns into the mix to kind of persuade the judges. He's getting a full training camp out of this and, and, and cost it to me, you know, I, I don't know power, but is power going to get the job done or do I want the guy that looks like he's got some dog in him? Right. So for that reason, uh, Steve Ursag. He's, he, he's got the dog in him, man. He's got the dog in him, and I'm going to have to play him this week. I don't like the money line right now. Don't like it whatsoever. And that's why I think you're seeing some money come into Costa, because other people are feeling like there's some pr- pretty solid plus money out here on the underdog. Even the line out a little bit, and then I'll be adding to him to uh, the bottom end of the parlays.
0: Will the money come in on him is the real question, Cody. Well, we'll see no, Maybe that it, it did move back. Oh, wait. No, 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 it didn't. I mean, the book that I take the odds from tends to be, like, the market mover. Because I, I, you know, the pro and producer in me, I go, we do this show on a Wednesday night. If somebody's watching on a Thursday, I want it closest to what, you know, is accurate at that time. So I always kind of, I mean, yeah, it's hanging out at well, minus 193 at the, uh, I don't know, people like themselves to mercy. I, I think both of these guys are great. I just think... uh uh at the current price it's uh it's dogger pass it anyway. could
1: be honestly it could be a good live betting spot as well if you think that cost is going to start slowing down and he has that big first round and he lands those big shots uh maybe maybe steve ursag starts to turn the tide and take over late and it's a good live betting spot but i think if he wins the first round you're never going to see that line again and uh, it'll probably start just treading towards his direction but scrappy flyweight fight man so you kind of got to expect the unexpected
0: Hundo P. All right, moving on down. we got Lupi Godinez taking on Tabitha Ricci. Lupi, minus 170 favorite. Tabitha can be had for plus 150. Who you got?
1: Yeah, Lupi Godinez, to me, another fighter that's coming into her own. Ring IQ seems to be the only thing you can really falter for because she's got excellent boxing combinations, excellent footwork, uh, puts pressure on fighters. She can throw up over 100 significant strikes. She's got that volume. Um, power, nobody in the division's got crippling power, so it's not like she's out of her element by any stretch, but solid wrestling that she can mix in, I mean, she gets a whole lot of takedowns, she's good in the clinch as well cardio over 15 minute fights seems to be all there, sometimes she just makes those bonehead decisions sometimes she decides, I'm not going to take down Angela Hill, I- I'm just going to give her her only path of victory and stand with her, sometimes the Jessica Panay fight, just like giving up her back and just letting the time tick off the clock it's not how you want to fight. So there's been times where it's like, I'm not, I'm not fully on her, but yeah, three, five winning streak. She's been looking good. The fight with Cynthia Calvillo. She didn't look great. And eh. the Emily Ducote fight, man, 192 significant strikes landed. Ducote no joke. Former Invicta FC champion, former Bellator title contender, uh, someone that brings it every time out solid BJJ. Dj Blackwell, uh, collegiate wrestling background, I like Cody, And that fight, Godinez just looked way bigger than her. And every time Dakota would step in the pocket to let her own hands rip, it's like you had her, Godinez just going after it. As I said, 15-minute cardio, it's there all day, and she can push that pace on you. Her fight with Elise Reed her last time out, why would you want to stand with Elise Reed so she doesn't? And to me... This is like the, we call it in Canada, the TSN turning point. That's when I was a kid. They always had it on TV, so it always stuck with me. The TSN turning point where it's like that light bulb switch for her. It's like she shot the takedowns against Elise Reed. Mm -hmm. The ring IQ is finally coming together. Because there was a genuine concern that she might decide, why not box her up? Why not have some fun here? It's like, take away their highest path of victory. Take it away. Nullify their game. Do what you need to do. And against Tabitha Ricci, she's going to have the size advantage. I think she's got a striking advantage. I think she's got a sheer wrestling advantage, strength advantage. Richie's very crafty, excellent jiu-jitsu. She's got a little bit of judo. She might be able to throw her, but I think the size advantage is going to be a big deal here because if she doesn't take down Godinez, which I don't think she will, she's going to get boxed up. The combinations will be there. The volume will be there. The pressure will be there. Godinez wins. So the only thing that's crazy about this card this week is like, I like Godinez. I also like Mackenzie Dern. So it's like, how could this possibly go wrong, Paul? (laughs) Something may, but I'm hoping it doesn't. I will take Godinez.
0: I think Godinez wins a striking battle and edges it on volume. I'm not too confident in placing a bet. Just because, in fairness to Ricci, she had been very, very low volume until her last fight against Jillian Robertson. She finally broke, you know, 100 significant strikes in that fight, so maybe that's something she's adding to her game. Obviously, Godin, as we've seen in some fights, get up to, like, 130, and against, like, a very, very skilled veteran in Angela Hill, she was able to go tit for tat. She fought very dumb there because she should have utilized the wrestling, but, yeah, no, I kind of think that this fight, the wrestling's gonna basically be negated, and Loopy's gonna win on volume. But the line kind of is set up in a way that, like, New York too, bad commission. Who knows how it goes when we get down to bad the Bad commission, com- yeah. Bad yeah, commission. That's,
1: that's, a, that's a fact, man. You're gonna have to consider that. Uh, my only thing I'll counter with was that Jillian Robertson fight. Robertson was posing. Not she. Based- I didn't quit on herself, but. She just basically accepted the beating. She just she she was allowing herself to just uh, lie there and have the Richie Racks up strikes on her. I feel like Godin is going to fight back, but yeah, women's MMA. Pat would slap me in the face and just tell me to take that plus money, but I can't do it.
0: Hondo P. All right, moving on down. We got Matous Rebecca taking on Roosevelt Roberts. Rebecca a minus six fifty favorite. Roberts. Can be had for plus 475. Robert was, Roberts was obviously on the most recent season of the Ultimate Fighter. He's, uh, you know, coming in on short notice here. Um, Narul Aliyev was pulled out. I think he had, like, a leg injury or something like that. Uh, Rebeki isn't just a problem. We've talked about him, obviously, throughout his entire thing. It's like, this guy already came to the UFC, and it's just like... Sometimes there's prospects and it's just like, oh, he's really got to work on this. He's got to work on that. But there's upsides. Just like this guy already seems like a a pretty finished product at this point. Uh, Grappling is on point if he wants to go there. He's tough as nails. Hits hard. I think Roe is in for a bad night. But happy to see him back in the UFC. Happy to see that, you know, after he takes this fight, he'll get another fight. And it won't be against somebody. Of Rebecca's quality. So, Rebecca should absolutely maul him. Make it easier on yourself and, and maybe take this fight to the mat rather than hanging out at range with somebody who's going to have like a reach advantage on you, though. But, uh, yeah, Rebecca minus 650 is insane, but the guy's the goods. He's, he's going to be a problem for most of these guys until he starts cracking into the top 15, and then we'll see how high the ceiling is for him. But, uh, Rebecca, it's hard to pick against him. What about
2: you?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll admit, I can't call him my favorite prospect because he's 18-1 and one and 31 years old, but, like, this guy's pretty much a refined... Uh, he'll get more experience, especially, like, at a high level, their level of opposition, but me like he. This, he's kind of a throwback fighter to what we used to like betting on back in the day, you know, those those Nick Lenz's types, those John Fitch types, those guys that are just very grindy, very strong, very suffocating. It doesn't matter that you might have some flashy striking, or you might have you know, a cool little move in your arsenal. It's like they're going to bring full pressure for 15 minutes. They're going to grind away. They'll get the positions they want. And because MMA's grown so much, a lot of these guys have added their striking, and Rebecca's no different. He came to the UFC with what looked like a ballooned-up record. He's like 15-1, and one, but it's not. Fought a bunch of legitimate guys. He's got solid wins. He fought Dagir Imovov, which is Nasruddin Imovov's uh, brother. He, the guy's the goods. And so far in the UFC, you know, he pretty much has looked the goods. Wins on the Canetti Series against Rodrigo Lidio. Gets the takedown there. Easy money. Three minutes in. Gets the submission. Nick Fiore, would I have liked to have seen a finish out of him? Sure. But it was just pure domination. Does what he has to do. And then the Loic Radzabov fight his last time out. Again, Radzabov is very much a bit of a throwback fighter himself. He's very physically strong. He loves the takedowns. A little bit of a wild man. But Rebecca showed that he's not just physically strong. He's not a Bartos Fabinski, where like he only has that strength. You'll remember our boy Bartos. He's got the actual technique to back it up. So I, I, I like where Rebecca's headed. This was going to be a nice fight against Nuro Aliyev, another very physically strong guy with excellent grappling. So if you can go out there and maul a guy like that, you're starting to position yourself as one of the elite grapplers of the division. At 31, he needs a couple marquee victories. He needs a couple big name guys. Aliyev's not a big name guy. It would be get his. Compadres would say, hell of a win, but it wasn't going to get him where he needed to be. Roosevelt Roberts, has a bit more of a name, was on the Ultimate Fighter, is a far easier matchup. Probably does better for him, but I think if he goes out there with the game plan of, hey, this guy's a massive underdog, I'm going to have some fun in there, and I'm going to throw down, maybe he'd get clipped. Roosevelt Roberts, as you mentioned, he's a very long guy. Him at his best, you've seen him back in the past. He uh, has some decent striking, he's got some legitimate power for the weight class he might be able to catch you on the end of a punch. Thing is, he's another one of these guys that's tall and lanky and doesn't have a great base. He doesn't have great wrestling. He doesn't have that ability to stuff the takedown. If Rebecca wants to do is take him, he is going to crumple him up into a ball, style on him for as long as this thing lasts and puts him away. Now, does he take a cautious approach like the Fury fight and just grind on Roosevelt Roberts and win all three rounds? Okay, can if he wants. Is he just overwhelming with that suffocating pressure? Lots of ground and pound, lots of positional changes. Yeah, Roosevelt Roberts is coming in here on short notice. Lost to Austin Hubbard on the Ultimate Fighter just recently. Got released. Didn't sign to the UFC. Hasn't signed to any other promotion. What has he been up to? Clearly training. Clearly waiting for a spot. But the UFC calls calling and says, would you fight anybody on the roster? You're obviously going to say Yes. Because as you mentioned, he'll get some more fights after this. But this is a colossal task to be jumping in there, guys. Eighteen and one, you know, for you to go out there and spring the upset on short notice with his given skill set, which at this point is puncher's chance. Because he's largely outclassed in the submissions, largely outclassed in the wrestling. I think he's going to be fairly outclassed in the cardio. Simple fact that he's taking it on short notice, and Rebecca looks like a problem. Where does he win? Puncher's chance? Okay. Is that enough? No, no. So, Rebecca's 650. Let's jump on that.
0: All right, moving on down, we've got Nazem Sadikov taking on it. Vyacheslav Borshev, minus 120 for Sadikov, plus 100 for Borshev. I love fading Borshev against guys that can wrestle. I know that Sadikov is in a room with a whole bunch of guys that can wrestle, but I haven't really seen him put it together in the octagon. So there is... I, I understand why, like, Borshev was a bigger underdog literally yesterday. And there's been some uh, some movement towards him. These are the kind of the style of fights. If it's going to be a kickboxing match. You know, the, the Team Alpha Male kickboxing trainer. He can win these fights. He can win this fight at range. Um, the cardio will hold up if he doesn't have to grapple. Guy can't stuff a takedown to save his life. Is Sadikov going to show us an extra little element of his game? I'm not entirely sure about that. So, I don't know if I'm going to have the cojones to pull the trigger, but Borshev will be the official pick, just on the fact that I feel like this is going to be a 15-minute striking affair, and if you're going to do that, then then I it's hard for me not to pick Borshev. So, that's my pick in this fight, but I'm not too confident in it. Sadakov could show yeah. off some like extra skills that I haven't seen really in in practice. But it's hard to bank on that. It's hard to bet on that until you've actually seen it. So, uh Borshev is for me, what about you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to agree. I think he's uh well, he's an underdog play this week and I need some underdogs. That's the thing. Th- Sometimes you don't get those big underdogs, but you get a lot of these, these near-even money plays. You get a couple of these even money plays. Borshev is not not an underdog. He's closer to an even money play, but because everybody always wants to know underdogs. Yeah, I, th- I think Borshev. Sadikov, as you mentioned, he's in a room with all those guys, but he's not shown that same propensity to, to grapple. I mean, with Aljamain Sterling, that's his go-to. If he doesn't grapple, well, you've seen what happens. Uh, with Rob Devoshvili, guy can strike, but he's also gotten rocked in the past like wrestle they wrestle heavy they grapple heavy fravola suspect chin wrestle grapple heavy need be put that pressure on guys sadikov's got that pressure but he's more of a striker that's where he feels comfortable so guys are going to come to the gym a lot of them already have a pre-existing martial arts base and there's a way that they fight those guys like to grapple sadikov not so much but as a result is he at his best is that the best room to be in if your game plan is just to be striking the entire time maybe maybe not Counter-wrestling should be there, but even then, it doesn't look like his takedown defense is all that good himself. So he likes to come forward. You saw him on the contender series. He took on, I have trouble pronouncing it, Admat Has- Hassan Zada, who's no good, okay? Hassan mm-hmm. Zada then loses his next fight on LFA. I think he was like a minus 285 favorite in that spot as well. He's not a good fighter. Yeah, He did manage the two takedowns over Sadakov. Yep. Sadikov keeps bringing the pressure. Sadikov knocks him out. It's, it, it's a contract-worthy win. It's a fun little win. It just doesn't mean too much to me. The Evan Elder fight, he loses the first two rounds against Evan Elder. He's down on all three scorecards against Evan Elder. He's going to lose this fight. A cut stoppage. Nasty yeah. cut, sure. But a cut stoppage bails him out. Otherwise, that is a loss. And then his fight with Terrence McKinney. Terrence McKinney 10-8-ed him in the first round. He took him down. He took his back. He absolutely styled on him. And then he flat-gassed And Sadikov was able to work his way back into it. So it's a good little win streak. It looks like a nice little win streak. But to me, I'm just not fully sold on it yet. He's down two rounds to Evan Elder. Strike is not elite. That pressure he puts on guys is not yielding that tons of success. His takedown defense isn't quite there. Offensively, he's not trying to mix in the wrestling. These are all problems because with Borchev, it's not just you should try wrestling this guy. You need to wrestle him the entire fight. He mm-hmm. gets taken down eight or nine times because he gets up. He's very hard to hold down. He's the kickboxing coach at Team Alpha Male. You don't think he trains with stout D1 wrestlers on the daily? Of course he does. He's in a room full of them. He gives up takedowns all the time, but he gets back up. So now you're assuming Saudi is going to do something that he's not done in the past mm-hmm. and he's going to do it multiple times. He's going to take him down two, three, four, five, six, seven times. He did actually take down Evan Elder one time in that fight. 19 seconds of top control is what he got out of his single takedown. And then Elder gets back up. Borishev would be the same. If he gets taken down, he's going to get back up. When they're standing, Elder's going to be coming forward. I think he's got the better durability. Borshev seems like he's, he's another one of these giant offensive threats, but like he's there to get hit. You can hit him. And lesser guys have teed off on him a few times. Like Sadikov could have some success, but if he's coming to the table with 50, 60 significant strikes, what do you land against Elder? 64 going into the third? Uh, Boroshev's going to be landing to the body. He's going to be landing to the legs. He's going to be landing those big hooks. He's 31. He's taking, I think, a decent amount of damage in terms of, like, kickboxing and now jumping into MMA. But he's still only 31 years old. He's in an optimal room for sprawling, brawling guys. And I don't even think Sotikov's going to shoot the takedown which should allow him to just focus on striking. And that should give you the best version of Borishev. live underdog all day. Now, as we do the show on Wednesdays, right? So the line generally is steamed by this point. So I think it's going towards even, and you might even see Borishev be slight favorite come fight time.
0: Mm -hmm. Boryshev KO official pick for me. It's plus 250 at like the only book that has the prop on that right now.
1: I I I would take Sadikov to take the beaten, but last because I just think he's tough. But but he was knocked down by
0: Elder, and then Borshev last time out had three knockdowns against the legend of Mahashat. So I think think the pass there. Like if if you get if you get plus three hundred, Borshev doing that little Slava Claus crazy little. Russian dance that he
1: does right before right before Christmas. The Claus might come early.
0: Exactly, perfect. All right, moving on down. We've got Jared Gordon taking on Mark Madsen minus one eighty for Gordon, plus one fifty five for Madsen. Who do you got here?
1: Okay, so this is another one. I'm very tempted to take the underdog shot on Mark Madsen, but I'm gonna settle with the best way of attacking this is probably that live line with the live line on Gordon. If you think that he can withstand, well, he's going to withstand the first round it's whether or not he can start to turn up the pressure because Madsen doesn't got a great gas tank. I mean, we know about his wrestling credentials. He's a, you know, silver medalist at the Olympics and he's competed at the highest level and world championships. Great. He's an excellent wrestler. Wrestling doesn't necessarily make you the best fighter per se. And it seems like, It seems like he's kind of struggling in that transition in between the two. He's capable of getting multiple takedowns, but he doesn't quite have that jiu-jitsu yet that he's sinking in his hooks and grabbing the rear naked choke. He's not necessarily grounding you for the duration of the round as much as you get back up and he's able to take you back down. The Clay Guida fight that matched him up with a wrestler not nearly on his caliber. Guy is almost 40 years old and wrestled at like a community college. And yet, you saw that he wasn't trying to wrestle Clay. Like, he didn't want to exert himself. He's worried about his cardio. So, he relied on just jabbing the whole time. It actually wasn't a very good fight. It was a very close fight. Clay almost beat him in a pure striking battle. Not great stuff. The Vince Pichel fight, okay? He flat gasses in the second round. Pichel's beating his ass. Pichel outstruck him 68 to 39, got a takedown of his own. And then in the third, when it's like, You know, whoever wins this last exchange, essentially, is going to win this fight. He gives up that takedown. So that wins it for Madsen. Then he runs into Grant Dawson, and he got taken down twice. He looked vastly out of place. That's like a year and a half ago, or it's a year ago. He's much older. Uh, I don't know, man. I think he comes out with a good first round. Jared Gordon is very slow. He's very plodding. Again, he he has a BJJ black belt. He comes from a wrestling background. He is a good grappler, but there's no way that Madsen's not going to get those takedowns if he wants them. Madsen's going to get them. Then he's going to start to tire because this is what he does. And Jared Gordon, like the only redeeming quality about him is that he's durable enough that if you don't ice him quick, he keeps coming. He's got solid three-round ability, push a pace, grind you down, land those significant strikes, Looks sloppy the whole way. It's all about can he push the pace? Can he make Madsen work? Can he tire him out? I think he loses the first round. I think the second round is going to be close, and it's going to be did Gordon do enough to win it? And if it's 1-1 going into the third, I think Gordon all day. Pichelle should have won as well, truth be told. But Pichelle and Gordon aren't totally far off, right? I think that same game plan can be replicated to better success. It's that he needs to be able to just – push that pace and drown him. I don't want to bet Gordon minus 185, minus one 195 right now when I think he probably loses the first round and I can get him at he still might be favorite. He still might be like minus 125 or something. But I think once he drops that first one and he needs to fight his way back into it. And I I, I cowarded last week I took bomb theme over Dolby, but Paul, you and I sat in here and made all the points in the world for why Dolby an excellent live betting opportunity because he's a slow starter who's known for building that momentum and winning the second and third round. Maybe if he can outsta- withstand that early bomb theme beating, that he could turn the tides. He had never been finished cleanly. One time at Jesse Ronson, but that went cleanly. He's got that durability. And 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 what happens? Exactly that. He takes that beating in the first round. He was plus 700 after the first And he comes back and he takes bomb out. Gordon needs to replicate something similar. He's not necessarily going to get dropped and beat on. I don't think Madsen has that power, but I think Madsen fresh for the first five minutes, this guy went to the UFC PI. They were looking at him. This is a couple years ago now, but they were like, he's a freak athlete. Like he's, I think he's almost 40 years old, 39 years old. But when he came into the performance Institute at 37, they were like, damn, this guy is a freak athlete. But that is athletic burst, that wrestling competition, that doesn't necessarily translate to a grindy five-minute round, three of them, with a dude who died of a drug overdose, resuscitated, back to life, nothing left to lose at this point, and he fights like it. And that's one thing about Jared Gordon. So had he gotten the win against Patty Pimlet, which he should have, right, it would look a lot better, but he didn't, so... It's a live bet. It's a live bet. Now, because we're in the business of making pre-fight picks, I need to take a pre-fight pick. I'm going to take Gordon. But I think you'll get the better number live.
0: Yeah, I, I can see a world where, obviously, Gordon is... Gordon throws a lot more volume out of, out there. Um But at the price, I mean, I took plus 167. I took a shot on Madsen. He's a little bit long in the tooth. Obviously, the round three cardio isn't quite there, but... I think he can probably get takedowns, particularly early in the first two rounds. Hold mm-hmm. position. He's just so strong. He's obviously got the wrestling pedigree. And at at the current dog prices, I mean, Jared Gordon too is like he's not like a potent finisher. He's not throwing the. I don't know if he's going to gain Madsen's respect with his hands all that much. So. Madsen for me uh, at the current prices, to be perfectly honest. Like Gordon, I know he should have beaten Patty Pimblett. Like I don't really rate Patty Pimblett all that highly, and it wasn't a great performance. And then obviously, you know Bobby Green. Uh, that was what the headbutt or whatever, but,
1: but uh, yeah, as a headbutt, he was going to lose anyways, but he wasn't going to get knocked out necessarily. And Bobby Green, what do we know about him? He's badass, top five contender right now, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean that fight I, I was do. that
0: fight was done too fast for us to really clean anything off. It's the Paddy yeah. Pimbo fight more than anything. It's just like he definitely should have won the fight, but it was close enough but, against somebody. I don't know. I think we're we're talking about a different level with Madsen here. His striking is obviously a total work in progress, but um, and maybe maybe you know the Grant Dawson fight kind of tells us everything we need to know about the direction of this guy. Maybe he's definitely slowing down a little bit. We'll see but uh, plus 167 I took a I took a small shot on Mark Madsen. Uh, we got John Castaneda taking on Kyung Ho Kang, minus 1 140 for Castaneda, plus 120 for Kang who he got
1: Yeah, this is another one where I'm coming up just short of that dog selection. Like Kang, we know him at his best. He's very, very solid. He's got a striking, he's got a solid reach and height advantage in this fight. And he's got solid striking. Fairly dynamic guy, moves very well, solid athletically. His ground game, solid. Very good wrestling, very solid top control. He's just another of these guys that just struggles in blending everything together. He's not the best, like, hybrid fighter. He gets caught in striking exchanges against guys he shouldn't be striking with, and he wrestles guys like Ronnie Yaya that he shouldn't be wrestling. So there's always been that little question mark of will he tie it together and come out as that best version of himself. You look at his last couple fights, solid winning streak, looks decent. Dana Baccaro, that's a solid one here because Baccaro, in many ways, is going to fight like a John Castaneda. But see, he, he should have been taking down Bacquerel. Instead, it's like you've got a one-dimensional brawler in front of you, a guy that's winging shots. The that outstruck him 109 to 100, made it a close competitive fight, and at no point did it dawn on you of just taking that ability away from him. Now, Bacquerel is physically strong. So the fact that Kang didn't rely on his wrestling there, it makes me think that he might not rely on his wrestling against John Castaneda, a guy that's capable of overwhelming you, coming forward, pressuring you the entire time. And honestly, I like way more what I've seen out of Costa Nada recently. He's on a bad little slump. One and three. Loses on the contender series. Or sorry, wins on the contender series. Uh, makes his debut against Nathaniel Wood. Loses. Wins against Eddie Wineland. Then the middle over Miles John. Solid performance, man. Drops Miles John. Ends up getting a third round submission out of that fight. Backed him up. Landed the shots did everything right for the most part. His fight with Daniel Santos, man, wild fight. Ends up losing, but they both scored knockdowns. He had three takedowns. you fighting a guy named Wiley Cat. It was a wild fight. Unfortunately, got caught in that fight, but you could see glimpses of a lot there. I like guys that are going to come forward. They're going to go out on the shield if need be, but you're going to need a lot of power to take them out guy like Daniel Santos, he got that power. Kang, don't. He's relying on these low kicks and these jabs to try to st- stick you at bay. But if you're coming forward constantly, he's going to have the crowd behind him. It's going to be a raucous New York crowd. I think that it's going to be a lot more eye-appealing that Castaneda is coming forward, trying to mix it up, trying to throw down, mixing the takedowns. His last fight with Win Gafarov, solid fighter. He lands three takedowns on him. No easy feat. He drops him, uh, scores a clean knockdown, uh, ends up winning the decision. Low volume, sure, but the wrestling there and the power is there. So this fight with Kang, Kang can overwhelm him. He does have the better volume. He does have that jab. He does have the low kick. But if John can continuously come forward and make this a scrap, I think he gets stuff the takedowns and make it interesting. I'm, like, kind of on the fence on this one. If I need a dog pick, like, if it was gun to my head, you need three dog picks per card, I'm oh, putting don't. Kang on it. But I don't. And this is not like it's a huge dog pick. It's more of a kind of a close-to-even-money fight. Like, there's not... Is, you know, it could very well flip and nobody would really bat an eye, right? So I'm kind of on the fence about how I feel. think I'm going to wait for Wayne before I officially, like, lock anything out on a financial level. But for pre-fight card, I think I'm leaning towards John Castaneda.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense to me, to be perfectly honest. Um, the Kang fight against Christian Canonas, like, that one was straight up. Like, I was on Kang. I, un, under no circumstances, thought that I was going to catch that ticket in the first round with a knockout. Like, he had not really you know rocked anybody seriously well, like, he, he, yes, he has he has he's had some yeah, he's yeah, had some was, knockdowns it, and stuff I suppose over the course of his career but he hasn't had like you know one-hitter quitter type of power the guy's 36 years old at this point um i think it's kind of it was nice to see him get that dub but yeah the uh dana fight was razor razor close that could have gone either way and um and yeah he just kind of hung out at range had a striking affair against somebody who the path, yeah the smart path to victory would have been utilizing that wrestling slowing down you know the power puncher definitely could have lost that uh, that decision if when it went to the scorecards and yeah, is uh, showing a little bit of pop in his hands in some of his fights. If it goes 15 minutes, I would worry that Castaneda, and it stand, ends up just being like a kickboxing match. I worry that he loses on volume. But um, yeah, make this ugly, force this up against the cage. He's got takedowns against Moon Gafrob. He had three. Uh, two or three against uh, Willie Cat. You got to mix in the wrestling here, kid, and uh, I think he gets the dubs. So I'm with you. Castaneda is the pick. We got Joshua Van taking on Kevin Borges. Uh, Van is a minus two hundred or minus two twenty favorite. Borges can be had for plus one eighty. Who you got?
1: Yeah, this is a great fight because it's two legitimate prospects. Van, twenty two years old, literally just turned twenty two years old, already want to know in the UFC, and Borges, twenty five years old, Peruvian kid, going to start making a lot of improvements. Both of them are absolute bangers. Borges has got an excellent right hand, tons of power behind it. Most of his wins, he's catching guys and they're getting hit in the ground. Right prior to coming on the contender series, he had fighting this TL Calixto. Um, fourth round retirement, it was supposed to be a five round fight. The guy quit, just like fourth round starts, and immediately he's just like, I'm done. Don't want to go anymore. Borges can carry that power through. He seems like one of these very strong, physically strong Peruvian fighters. I I could see him maybe landing the more damaging blows, but for my money's worth, I'm sold on Van. I think Van has got the real deal. I made the mistake of betting Zalgas Zuma Gulov against him, and it was another one of these classic Zalgas split decisions. Here's the difference in those Zalgas split decisions. This one he legitimately lost. hundred percent. Bunch of those, bunch of those ones, he he won, he won, he should have won, and it went against him. And now he's taking on this 21 year old kid at the time, right? And he was a Just to make sure I get this properly correct. Minus 225 favorite over this kid. Minus 250 favorite over this kid in some spots. He's supposed to beat him. The kid's 21. He's making his UFC debut on short notice. Ah probably not going to go all that well for him. So I go and I watch back some tape on him. His footwork is excellent. His timing is definitely there. Very athletic, very quick, um, very dynamic type of fighter. Young, still making some mistakes along the way, but his striking is there. His grappling is where he'd have a deficiency, but he had a nasty willingness to go for it, man. He'd be going for submissions, despite the fact that not necessarily a grappler quite yet. He fought a veteran fighter by the name of Cleveland McLean, who's fought a lot of high-level guys. and 27-fight veteran. Uh, Trim's over in South Florida solid guy, and in that fight he just rocks him straight up the middle with the knee overcomes all the bad spots, takes the back he's he's quick, he's athletic he's going for it, against Zalgus I didn't quite give him his respect, not because I didn't think he was good, because I thought Zalgus was a lot better than advertised, right, the guy's been getting robbed on split decisions, he's tough, he's durable, he's capable of throwing tons of volume he's a rugged enough wrestler, and what you saw from that was Joshua Van, on short notice at 21 years old, as a 2.5 to 1 underdog, coming in and styling on him. Did he get tired in the third? Yeah, but that would be understandable for a kid, a college kid, on short notice in the UFC. So I think that it's only on the up and up. And now he's coming back again, just celebrated his 22nd birthday. Maturity is not quite where it needs to be, be fighting the best guys in the division, but it's slowly going to get there. And with Borges, he's only 25. It's his UFC debut as well. Vans got that out of his way. I think if this is going to be two guys that are looking to bang, van again has got the better footwork he's a little bit crisper he's a little bit fresher borges has got that power he might be able to go out there and land something he might be able to you know catch those more eye appealing shots but i think van just stays out of harm's way the best he can lands the counters mixes in some takedowns if need be maybe catches a submission maybe lands something up the middle guaranteed fight like this will be a very good fight this is a good card with tons of fight of the night type of fights but I would say this has got fight of the night written on it because it's probably going to be largely a striking affair between two guys that have power, but not quite enough power to finish it right away. So you're probably going to get this thing dragged out to the second or third round. And again, van full camp, getting older, look good to me, man. So I got to, I got to go with him here.
0: I'll take him as well. But um, I will say, yeah, like fight in the night props and stuff like that. The problem is Dana doesn't watch the prelims and he's the guy who makes the decision. So be is I'm, it I'm thinking, him
1: that makes the decisions? Is it like nobody, 100%? The control? fight of the night
0: never happens. It's, like, I mean, the Trevor Peak one kind of told me everything I needed to know about that. It's like the early finished. fights on the card pretty much never get even in, unless you have a crazy knockout, that may happen. But like, fight of the night, they pretty much rarely ever give any credit to somebody that happened, you know, four or five hours before. They always forget about them. The poor guys at the bottom of the card that actually need the money. But uh but yeah no Van was pretty impressive against Zalgis for a 21 year old kid stepping up against somebody with that type of experience um on a decent sized card it was like a UFC on ABC in front of a crowd all of that. He's already got the jitters out of the way. Frankly, he didn't look like he had any sort of jitters. He showed up against a guy like Zalgus who's fought tons of quality opponents. And I agree. It's like uh, there's been nobody's been beating the drum for like Zalgis keeps getting robbed. In, in more fights than than me and uh van won fair and square it shouldn't have been a split uh mm. so yeah i'm with you i think i really like where this kid's head is at where the direction is and um 120 significant strikes it's only going to be better every single time we see them the cardio seemed to be completely on point point. In that fight against Zalgis. So I'm with you. Van is the pick for me as well. Finally, we got Jamal Emers taking on Dennis Bazookia. Minus 260 for Emers. Plus 220 for for Bazookia. I got Emers here just basically strictly off of the fact. It's like I don't really rate Bazookia at this level whatsoever. Um, I think it's kind of interesting. Like This was like minus 320, minus 330 for Emers. There's been some money coming in on Bazookia Kind of confused about that. I think Jamal Embers makes a pretty good parlay piece. He's bigger. He's longer. Um, probably has the better wrestling as well between the two of these guys. Like, I, I haven't seen anything from Bazooka in his Contender Series fights or in his UFC fights that really... Outside of him being super, super tough and that he'll hang in the fight. He doesn't really have, like, concussive knockout power. It's like, I I just don't really rate him as a fighter at this level. Um, I expect his career in the UFC to be relatively short. Uh, Emerson for me, what about you?
1: Yeah. So here's my Dennis Mazzucchio story, right? So I, I know his management team. And uh, they get him on the contender series, right? They talk him to a great spot. He's out of a great camp, and he's got great training partners, and it's very easy to say this is another up-and-coming prospect. So they throw him on the contender series against uh, Melsic Bagdasarian. And like, he got beat up, man. He got two takedowns, sure, but, like, he was not – if it was striker versus striker, he was definitely the lesser of the two. I think he got outstruck, like, 102 to 52, doubled up, loses the fight. Moves on. Okay, sure. But you know what? Great management team, baby. They get him back on the Contender Series against that Kalo Romero, who's one-dimensional Hawaiian wrestler. Uh, they each got one takedown. Fairly low-volume fight. Not good. And he wins. And they do not sign him. Dana says, thanks, but no thanks. Which Dana, if you've seen the Contender Series, almost never does. All the same. Second UFC appearance in the Contender Series, no mas. Goes back to the regional scene and racks up two low-level wins. A 7-7 seven seven opponent and a 6-4 and four opponent this point fights are offered to him and he's turning them down not him turning them down is his management team turning them down they're like no that guy's too tough no that that would be a bad fight for him no like very pick and choose pick and choose pick and choose so it was ufc nashville and they needed someone basically last minute and they were just like Uh, who's available, Dennis got excellent management, got excellent team, so they throw him in there against Sean Woodson, and he misses weight for that fight, despite the fact that he was kind of hoping to jump on the card, was in training camp, he misses by half a pound, and now maybe it was the bad weight cut, maybe it was the UFC debut, maybe it was the jitters, but he looked god-awful against Mm -hmm. Sean Woodson, and I mean out of place in every single dimension of the sport. He He took the beating, he lasted the 15 minutes, but man, that was massive one-way traffic. He got beat on. He got outstruck 71-42. That part wasn't bad. It was the four takedowns. It was the him half curled over with Woodson just tossing him into the ground. He had nothing. His own offensive wrestling was non-existent, despite the room he trains out of. His defensive wrestling against a guy that's what six foot three, Sean Woodson. Not not known for his wrestling for the record. Easily just foot tossing him, easily just tripping him up, Easy just grounding him whenever need be. Tease off on the kid yeah short notice sure UFC debut sure but like he didn't even look like he had three minutes of cardio now blame it on the bad weight cut and maybe that's all it was was that bad weight cut but when you look at his pre-existing fights he's largely been matched up against soft guys on the regional scene to build up a record the few times that he has stepped up like a Melsic Begasarian or his last fight against Sean Woodson it's like he looks largely out of place now you got Jamal Emers, and Jamal Emers on paper it don't look sexy because he's got losses that if they were wins It would look sexy. His fight with Giga Chakots is a a nail-biter. It's a split decision. It could go either way. If Emerus fights like even the slightest bit smarter than he does, he wins against Giga Chakots, and that one would have been a really nice win. But his last fight against Jack Jenkins, thank God, thank God, Combat Press, MMA Junkie, MMA Mania, Sure Dog, uh, Bloody Elbow, The Wrestling Observer, and I guess all three people at multiple of those outlets— Thank God all them weren't ref in the fight. Cause I had money on Jack Jenkins. But quite literally, every single media member, not one media member, scored the fight for Jack Jenkins. So uh yeah, maybe I got bailed out of there. What I'm saying is Emmers probably won the Jenkins fight in hindsight. And Emmers could have won the Giga Chakots fight in hindsight. And these are nice little wins that would have gone on to showing how legitimate he is solid wrestling collegiate wrestling background very nice submission game shouldn't be playing footsies with pat sabatini but at the same time if he stays out of harm's way like he's got good top control cardio could be a little bit better could be a little bit sharper but he fights at a decent enough pace that gonna get tired and the striking's there he had rocked pat sabatini earlier the guy stood with a giga chakots and didn't get folded over like so many other great competitors so I think Emerson is a very well-rounded, very high-level fighter. It's that he doesn't necessarily always get the the favoritism or the favorable rub. So you need the New York judges to get this right. But I'll tell you what, Jack Jenkins is a far, I, I don't want to say I'm so far better, but like, what could okay what are dennis's weapons what does he pose the problem dennis is not a wrestler offensively he's not looking to stuff takedowns for the most part but maybe he's going to try to box him up a little bit he's going to try to get in the pocket stand his ground and try to work him with his boxing which is everything that jack jenkins excels in and yet gets backed off by emers emers takes this fight to the ground it woodson took him down four times give him a full camp and give him a good weight cut emers is taking him down And if Embers wants to stand with him, again, I think he can just out-volume him. He's faster. He's going to stay to the outside. This is a large cage, not a small octagon. He's got tons of space to work with. He's had lots of experience in the UFC at this point. And the the one little worry is that he's a little, not. I'm going to say banged up. He's had prior issues with some injuries, which have kind of held him back from being a little more active. And I don't don't know if he's 100% coming in, but like if he's, give me 80% coming in, he's beating Dennis. So minus 250, whatever market you're on, it doesn't matter. It's kind of in that range. Uh... You're never gonna love something like that, but but yeah, Emmer's to me is like I like him because it's the first fight on the card. Again, I I don't want to ever put myself in a position to chase. Chasing is always bad news. But like if the first fight on the card blew me, you know, I would probably rebuild in some spots. I'm hoping Emmer's wins it, rolls on. I think he's very talented. I think Dennis is, as you said in your breakdown, not quite at this level. Looks a little bit out of place at this stage. So uh, yeah, sign me up for Jamal Emmer's to get the job done.
0: Sounds like we're on the same page in a lot of spots this week. That's either great or horrible news. But uh, without further ado, Cody, we're just about out of time. Hit him with the PRP.
1: Yeah, so again, it's not like heavy on underdogs, but tons of like these even money plays. Alex Pereira, right, which is near even money. We're going to go with Sergey Pavlovich, who's technically the underdog. <laughs> technically dog one, but he's basically even money. Uh, we're going to go with Mackenzie Dern, Benoit Saint-Denis, Pat Sabatini, uh Steve Ersig Vladislav Borshlov is technically dog number 2 uh Lupita Gobinez Joshua Van John Castaneda Jared Gordon and Jamal Emers so i got two dogs two even money plays like i don't i don't know i don't know why i take you know flack all the time people like you need more underdogs some these fights are lined pretty good, man. There's a lot of like even action, a lot of like these plus 120, plus 130 of the big underdogs. Like, if you told me who's the best considered a moderate size underdog, Madsen at plus 155. If he cannot, if he could just win the first two rounds, gas out. Who cares if he gases out? He just needs to win the first two rounds. If it's 1 1, he's in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, Borgus at 185 because he's slinging, but man, I like Van, I think the kid might be the real deal. Uh, Alessandro Costa, maybe at one plus 160 simply because, you know, flyweight fight. But again, it's like you don't for Volo, if his chin checks out, I think he's gonna have an okay time. Uh, but I just don't like forcing spots, right? So yep. it is what it is. And my best way of getting plus money is putting a few of them together on a ticket, but I need them to do their jobs. Otherwise, you know, one guy could blow it for everybody. So uh that'll be the main task this week. I really do want to see weigh-ins because I think this is a very tough competitive card. I want to see who had the good weight cut, what the size looks once they're kind of squared off with each other. And uh, as long as the New York judging is good, which it usually is not, hopefully make this a profitable one.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, it would be a great, great night of fights, regardless. Anyway, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saptic I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Say goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.